Good morning, everybody. Oh, man, what a beautiful, beautiful day it is today. And we're glad that you are here. Let me ask you the question to get started as you get your Bible ready or you get your phone so that you can follow along. Here's the question. Are you ready to study God's Word today? All right. That's why we are here, to build our lives upon the foundation of God's truth. Hundreds of years ago, on the Atlantic coast, there was a great problem with shipwrecks. And so when a violent storm would hit, many ships would be wrecked and the people would drown and many people would die. And so people along the Atlantic coast became very concerned and wondered, what can we do? And so an interesting meeting took place in 1786 in Boston in a place called the Bunch of Grapes Tavern. In 1786, this group came together and formed what they called the Humane Society of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And they decided we may not be able to stop these ships from sinking, but we can do something to prevent people from dying. And so they decided to do everything they could to assemble people, anyone who would be willing to help. They even gave cash rewards, prizes to anyone who could come up with better methods for saving lives. And it became a movement all up and down the East Coast. They would build these buildings that they called huts of refuge. They would construct boats that were designed to go out into the surf, these surf boats for saving lives. They would buy and create equipment to put in the buildings used in the, in the mission of saving lives. They would even gather together each week to practice drills and, and, and to, to practice how to better save lives. And there's one historian who uh, wrote about this in the United States, and he said that it would be impossible to exaggerate their great bravery. A winter beach in a place like Cape Cod is fearsome all by itself, but the idea of launching a heavy wooden boat through pounding surf is more than most rational men or women can imagine. In fact, you know this even happened in uh, places here in the Maritimes in Canada, in uh, Prince Edward Island and Nova Scotia and here in New Brunswick, places like Rishobuktu, uh, Rishabukto, uh, Camp in, uh, in Cape Breton, Charlottetown, uh, Sable Island, uh, places like Cape Tormentine, even here nearby, all along the coastline. Now, listen to their motto at that 1786 meeting in Massachusetts. Their motto was, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. <laughs> that is not very encouraging. Can you imagine who would sign up for this? And yet people did. What's amazing is these groups saved hundreds of crews and thousands of lives were saved from death at sea. Now, why is it that so many people are not familiar with this part of our Atlantic coast history? Why have so many of these heroes been forgotten? What happened to these organizations? Here's what happened. 
You see, the government took over, and the safe uh, the, the Coast Guard ended up getting more and more authority, and eventually these life-saving groups decided, well, let's just let the professionals do it, because that's what they get paid for. And so the volunteers stopped manning the huts. They stopped searching for shipwrecks during the storm. They stopped sending out teams to rescue the perishing. But here's what's even more interesting is I, I don't know that there are any here in the Canadian Maritimes, but as you continue further down the, the coastline and, and end up in places like Massachusetts and Long Island and, and further down, you will still find some of these same buildings, these huts of refuge, these life-saving stations. But today, they have been turned into museums. They've been turned into restaurants. Some have become bed and breakfast. And some of the societies still get together and have meetings. They do fundraisers to pay for building repairs. They have dinners and award banquets. They remember their past and they honor their founders. And yet, they have a different purpose today. They have become museums and social clubs. They are no longer in the life-saving business. And so what about the church? What is our purpose? What is our mission? Well, Jesus made it very, very clear here in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came for this purpose to seek and save the lost. Could, could we say these words of Jesus together? Everybody out loud together. Luke 19, Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And that's what business Jesus was in. And then when he returned to heaven, he turned to his disciples before he ascended. And he said, now here, this is your mission. Your job is to go out into the world and to rescue those who are drowning in the storms of life. We call it the Great Commission. And so we start churches with this purpose in mind. We go out to share the good news and to, to risk it all to take Jesus to the world. We build these, these church buildings as huts of refuge, places to be trained and equipped to go out into the storms of life. And we send people out as teams and as individuals to do their part to help people who are searching for answers in their life and to bring them back to this place to meet Jesus. But if we're not careful, it's very easy at times to forget what business we are in. It's easy many times for, for churches to become a heritage society for the preservation of the past, to preserve the music and the traditions and to remember our founders just like those in the East Coast humane societies and the life-saving societies. But now those places and those groups that have become museums and social clubs. It's easy for any organization to begin to forget what business they're in. And all you have to do is look at the statistics of the church in Canada 
And so let me give you three reasons Rick McGinnis says that churches forget what business they're in. I think there's a lot of biblical insight here today. And the first one is this, that sometimes we get confusion over what spiritual maturity looks like. Sometimes we get confused over what it means to be spiritually mature. Now, while you're finding here Mark chapter 2, we're going to get there in just a second. Mark chapter 2. While you're finding that, I want to ask you a question. In fact, I want to ask you two questions. And the first question is, who was the most spiritually mature person who ever lived? Okay, I want you to shout out the answer. I promise it's not a trick question. I think you can get it, okay? Who was the most spiritually mature person to ever live? Jesus. Good answer. Of course, Jesus was the most spiritually in tune with the Father, the, the, the most holy person to ever live. Second question, who was the greatest seeker magnet who ever lived? Again, it's not a trick question. And the answer is, over the centuries, over the millennium, who has had more people come and fall at his feet and say, even though I am far from God, I think in you, I can find the answers that I've been looking for. The answer is, of course, Jesus. And so when you keep this in mind, who was the most spiritually mature person who ever lived? And yet, who was the greatest seeker magnet who ever lived? Let's read Mark chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and Sinners. Now, I want to stop on this word for just a second because sinner sounds like a really mean thing to call somebody. But really, it's not intended to be an insult. In fact, all of us fall into that category in our lives, in our natural born state, because to sin simply means to want to have things my way rather than God's way. That's true of all of us, right? And so we all fall into the category at times of wanting to think, have things my way rather than God's way. And so they were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said, oh, this is so wonderful. No, that's not what they said. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? He should not be doing this. But on hearing this, Jesus said to them, he explained. He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, or in other words, the people who say they have their lives all together. I've come to call Sinners. When I was in my, uh, in my late 20s, I was a pastor at a church, and we were starting to grow and reach out to our community, and it was a beautiful, wonderful thing, and, and we were trying to come up with creative and, and new ways to reach out to people and, and invite people to church, and, and we had a movie theater that was in a complex right across the street from the church. And so we decided to invest a lot of resources, a lot of money into advertising at the movie theater. And so before all of the movies 
that you would go to, you would see an advertisement to invite you to the church across the street. And, uh, and I remember getting some interesting comments from other pastors and other Christians from other churches. And one of the comments that I got was, was this. They, they asked about how we had made the decision to do this and was it appropriate to do this. And, and they said, now surely, they said, you do not show the movie, the, the advertisement for the church at all the movies, do you? You only show it at like the rated G movies and the, the family-friendly movies. You don't show your church at rated R movies, do you? And I said, yeah. <laughs> they said, do you, don't you know who goes to those movies? I said, yeah, people who need Jesus. <laughs> right? See, why advertise at Christian movies? <laughs> what? If we're going to be fishers of men, as Jesus said, you got to fish where the fish are, right? And so that's why we do Jingle Bell Rock here at the church that you've already heard us focusing on, where we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families who come who normally might not have anything to do with church. And an Easter bunny blast and summer spectacular in the park where we can try to connect with people who would not normally go to church that's why we do small group serve projects. One of the most exciting things about our small group model here at the church is it's not just to care for one another, even though that is a huge, huge, huge part of it, to study the Bible together and grow in our spiritual lives together. But it is impossible to grow into what God has called us to be if we do not also serve those whom God loves in our community. And so this winter, our small groups will do hundreds of projects to serve our city and share the love of Jesus in our community. But sometimes, sometimes if we're not careful, we can get confusion over what spiritual maturity looks like. Some Christians think that being holy means being separated from the world. Some Christians think that the more spiritual you are, the less you want to be around people who are not Christians. But listen to what I'm about to say. Churches and Christians who isolate themselves away from the world are not becoming more holy. Now listen, they, they might become more churchy, but they're not becoming more like Jesus. Because loving lost people is not something Jesus did in spite of his spiritual maturity. It is something he did because of his spiritual maturity. It's not something Jesus did in spite of being holy. Loving people who are far from God is what Jesus did because he is holy. And when we lose sight of that, we can get confused over what spiritual maturity actually is. And in the process, we lose our, our sights on what the mission of the church really is. Because Jesus invested himself in the life of the church, and he raised up apostles and disciples, and then he sent them out and together to go out into the community to share the love of God. And that is our mission at Moncton Wesleyan. Because listen, we are still in the life-saving business today. Amen. Amen. And so here's another reason I think it's easy to forget what business we're in. 
Number two, it's more comfortable in here than out there. Isn't that true? See, in here, it is easy to talk about what you believe. You talk about Jesus and people say, amen. In here, it's easy to live out your faith. In here, it's easy to find people who agree with you and people who think like you. But out there is where the rubber meets the road. Out there is where you have to actually live what you say you believe. Out there is where your faith is tested. And out there is where God stretches you and helps you grow and does miracles through you in order to make a difference in the world. One more reason it's easy to forget what business we're in. And it's because it may seem risky to love people out there. In fact, Jesus said it will be. Jesus said that, that, that Jesus promised his disciples that they will face persecution. He said, I promise people will lie about you. People will misunderstand you. People will say bad things about you. And so hundreds of years ago, along the East Coast, as those life-saving societies formed, they knew That going out into the storm to save lives was risky business. They knew, remember the motto? We have to go out, but some may not make it back. And frankly, it is safer to leave the mission of the church to outreach professionals. It's safer to leave it to the spiritual coast guard, isn't it? Leave it to the youth pastors. Leave it to the evangelists. Leave it to the missionaries. That's what they get paid for. And that is how many churches get out of the life-saving business. But listen, friends, Jesus is still looking for people who will come together to form spiritual communities and build huts of refuge For people who are lost and drowning, but people whom Jesus desperately loves. And that is the very purpose of the church. And so I want to ask you you just a question today. It's a question for introspection, and I'm not projecting anything on you. I just want to talk for a few minutes about this question and ask all of us, me included, to wrestle with this. How is my heart for people who are far from God. Do you love them or do you want to avoid them? Do you only hang around with people who think like you? Do you only spend time with people who act like you and talk like you? You know how it's really easy to do that? Is by getting a whole bunch of friends on social media who are just like you are And then everything they say are things that you agree with and you're never challenged in your beliefs. I mean, this is a whole new idea. I know nobody's done this yet in North America. Right? Nobody, nobody, like, does political rants so that people will give them likes about things that they know that all their friends will agree with because all their friends are just like them. I I had, uh, (laughs) I had an encounter with someone who, uh, she's a 42-year-old woman, Christian, been in the church her entire life, and she confessed something. 
We were talking about this subject and she confessed that never once in her life has she had a friend who was different than her, who was a different race or ethnicity, who came from a different background or who had different beliefs. Do you spend time with people who have different political beliefs than you? Do you spend time with people who have different religious beliefs than you and live different lifestyles than you? Do you have friends who are atheists? And if so, here is the question. Here's the question. Would they say that you love them? See, now, now here's where the rubber meets the road. Here, here's something that we can tangibly Calculate. What would they say? Would they say that you are their friend? I think about this when it comes to prayer. One of the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things about our, our small groups is that we come together and we pray for one another's needs and we care for one another and we take prayer requests. And, but what I've noticed being a Christian myself for a very, very long time, is I've noticed that there is a common theme in prayer requests. That, that most of our prayer requests tend to be for me, myself, and I, those three people, all three of us, me, myself, and I. And secondly, for other Christians who are sick, or going through hard times. Don't get me wrong, those are not bad prayer requests. That, that, is, that is good and biblical, and that's why we exist, okay? To pray for our, our needs together, and to pray for Christians who are sick and going through a hard time. But here's what concerns me. Just, and I, and I could be wrong, and this may not be true, of the Christian circles that you've been part of and the prayer requests that you have heard over the years. But what I have wondered at times is if we spend more time praying to keep sick Christians out of heaven than we do praying for sinners who are going to hell. That we spend more time praying to keep Christians from going to heaven that we say is going to be better than life here on this earth, but sometimes act as if we don't believe that, than we do praying for the people all around us each and every day who if they were to die today, we don't know what their future would hold. How is my heart for people who are far from God. And so that's one of the things that we challenge our, our prayer teams and our, our, our small groups to do is to pray, not just for our own needs and not just for other Christians, but to pray for the people in our lives who we are intentionally targeting with the love of Jesus. And, and one of the ways that we can actually take practical action, I know this is not something brand new, uh, to you, but I'm going to go to this camera right over here. So get ready to zoom in. Okay, here we go. Uh, so we have these little cards, mw.church. Okay, mw.church. These are our little invite cards. 
And these cards are designed so that you can give them out to people to invite them to this hut of refuge, this, this life-saving station. And so, so, so we have them on the way out. And so if, when you go to any of the exits here on the way out today, just ask for a few of these cards. And just like me, you can keep them in your wallet. You can put them in your purse and use those. And we pray over these cards that God will use them to plant seeds in the lives of people who don't know Jesus and that some may even accept their invitation and there may be even some of you here today who the very reason you are here is because someone invited you and for that we are grateful. Amen? Amen. At the end of the summer, uh, at the end of this summer, Tracy and I had a life-changing event take place. This is a whole new season of life for us. Tracy and I uh, got married when we were 21. I was 21 and she was 19. And so we started very, very young, had kids two years later. And so even though we still, I hopefully, at least she looks young, <laughs> Thank you for not laughing. I thought you were going to like <laughs> go, yeah, Joel, not you, not so much. Uh, but as of the beginning of this month, we have entered a whole new stage and become empty nesters. We drove our son to college and dropped him off and waved goodbye. And an hour later, got a phone call from him that he was on his way to the emergency room with a dislocated shoulder. Apparently, when we pushed him out of the nest, he hit the ground hard. <laughs> and, and here's what's amazing. For the first time in 21 years, our house is both clean and quiet. <laughs> Are there any empty nesters in the house? Can you, can you tell how sad they are? They're just... They're, they're just so sad. Here's what's cool. Now we bring home food from the grocery store, and the next day, it is still there. <laughs> it's a miracle. But I do miss when our kids were little. There are so many things that, that we were able to do when we had little kids, when we had young children, that we don't get to do anymore. One of the things that I would love to do is when we would take our kids to the, to the park, and we would play in the playground. And I love all the things at the playground. You know, it's like a, a CrossFit gym. I love swinging on the monkey bars and sliding down the slide. And if the kids were good, I would even let them play too. <laughs> and so, uh, so I, kind of, I kind of miss that. But, but now I can't go anymore. At least that's what I'm told. <laughs> I'm told that a 44-year-old man going by himself to the playground to play with the neighborhood children on the monkey bars is not encouraged. Somebody might call the police. <laughs> but see, here's why. Because a playground is designed to be experienced with a child. The, the monkey bars and the slides and the swings and all of the obstacles. What makes it wonderful is when you bring a child with you and you get to experience it through their eyes. All of a sudden it starts to make sense. 
And the same is true with church. Listen, 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 listen. There are many things that may not make sense or many things that we do not see clearly until we bring someone with us. Someone who, who maybe is a brand new Christian and we get to see all this through their eyes. Someone who maybe has not yet accepted Jesus yet. Listen, we are not here just to be a hangout place for Christians. We are here to be a life-saving station to equip you to go out into this world and to rescue the perishing and to throw lifelines to those who are drowning and bring them back with you to meet Jesus. And so one of the things that we are really excited about is something called Alpha. If you're a Christian here today, Alpha is not for you, but it is for you to invite a friend. And so this week on Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. here at the church, along with some of our other classes that are designed to help Christians grow in their faith, we have Alpha. Alpha is designed for skeptics to answer questions about the purpose of life and who is God. What is truth? Why is there evil in this world if God is really good? And so we encourage you to invite a friend. You can do it online. We have advertisements on our social media that you can share with your friends. And encourage people to register at mw.church grow. And can I just say, thank you, thank you, thank you, for the amazing church that you are. Because of your investment over the years, hundreds and thousands of people have come to a life-changing experience with Jesus. And for some who right now, your heart is heavy for those who you love who don't know Jesus. I'm here to tell you, don't give up. Keep praying. And we join you in praying together. We join you in praying and believe that God is beginning to move. Let's stand. And maybe you're here today and the, the honest truth is that maybe you feel like you are drowning. You feel like someone needs to rescue you and you've never surrendered to Jesus. Listen, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the answer. He came not only to teach us how to live through the truth of his word, but to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that we can be forgiven and get a brand new start. And if you need that new beginning today, if you hear him, if you hear his voice calling your name, let's join together in this prayer all around this room. Just say, Heavenly Father, I have lived my life for myself. For so many years, I have done my own thing. But today, I see that Jesus died to pay the price for my sins so that I can be forgiven. And right now, tell him, I see you, Jesus. I see you. 
I see what you have done for me. And I receive your gift of forgiveness. Come into my life and change me. I need a relationship with my Father. And only Jesus can do that. And so we surrender our lives to you. Every moment of every day, come and have your way. And for those in our lives who are lost, may we never stop praying. May we never stop encouraging them and loving on them and blessing them with kindness so that through our love, they can see the love of Jesus. For it is in his name that we pray.